L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. Hi, I'm Jonathan, and I'll be your podcaster tonight. And whether you have heard of it or not, Steak and Ale was one of, if not the, restaurant that cooked up the concept of the casual dining chain. From friendly servers to self-service salad, this prime rib eatery bridged the gap between fancy restaurant and fast food. And the idea caught on so well that the market soon was sizzling with competitors. And Steak and Ale was found suddenly shuttering their doors and going into liquidation. But that's not the end. Find out what happened and where things are now. This is Steak and Ale on the Brink. Okay, so uh, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. And uh, if you couldn't tell, this week we're talking about steak and ale. Thanks, Andrew May, for the suggestion. Yeah, this is uh, one that surprised me because steak and ale uh, is a chain of of casual restaurants or was a chain of casual restaurants that uh, I think a lot of people might be completely unfamiliar with. Our, Our producer, Tyler, had no idea what steak and ale was. But they used to have quite a few in the Atlanta area. Yeah, as well as the Midwest, uh, some up in up north in like New England and New York area. Uh, and I just want to say that this restaurant actually has some some pretty big merits behind it. But man, if this wasn't a beast of an episode to research, you guys. Yeah. So this one, uh, as it turns out, it was hard to find a lot of source materials to really cover what was going on. It, steak and ale was. It was occupying a small enough spot in the overall industry that it wasn't the central point of a lot of headlines. And so we had to dig into a lot of specific industry-related news journals to even find information about it. Yeah, so uh, surprise bonus, this episode is also about Bennigan's. Yeah, because the the two restaurants end up having a lot of shared history together. Uh, It's funny because most of my research brought up commercials from the 1980s that were gloriously awkward. But, I mean, they really gave you the feel of what the restaurant was like. (laughs) Yes, like you walk through the door and there's a low-grade Broadway production. It's it's like your your cousin and your uncle trying to serve you a dinner and a show. Yeah. Except for there weren't actually shows at Steak and Ale. No. Except for on the TVs. All right, so let's let's talk about what Steak and Ale actually was. When did this whole thing get started? Well, Steak and Ale was founded in February of 1966 by Norman E. Brinker, uh, and he opened his first restaurant in Dallas, Texas on yeah. Lemon Avenue. Lemon Avenue. Lemon Avenue. And, uh, and this was a new concept in restaurants because this is in the 60s. It's right around the same time that fast food restaurants are starting to really catch on. Mm-hmm. You know, we did our, our episode where we talked about Wendy's. And we talked about that sort of fast food trend going on. This was sort of meant to be a type of restaurant that would fit in between 
the classy joint you would go to for like prom night or something, right? Like yeah. where you're you're taking a date or out on a on an, a fairly expensive like high end high end restaurant uh, versus going out and grabbing a cheap burger and fries. This was meant to be a casual eating experience somewhere in between, you know, kind of a family-friendly sort of approach. We take it for granted now because so many restaurant chains fall into that very broad category, but at the time it was brand new. Yeah, and we also take it for granted now because the casual dining establishment is struggling in this new millennial culture as people are wanting more unique experiences. Yeah, where they might want something more like a, um, uh, you know, like a mom and pop kind of restaurant, like a, a locally owned you know, farm to table yeah. kind of place, as opposed to a chain where you can stop in any city and find an outlet of that <laughs> that particular restaurant somewhere. And it's it's kind of how Norman Brinker started. So he actually started at Jack in the Box, and he worked his way up through the ranks. And and in case you aren't familiar, Jack in the Box is another fast food restaurant chain. Yes. And he helped expand Jack in the Box across the Southwest. We don't have it in Georgia. Uh, and he eventually became president of the company. And then he decided he wanted to start, start his own business. So he sold his 20% share in the company, and he moved to Dallas. And he started a coffee shop called Brinks. I like that name. Yeah. It was a you know a play off his last name. And uh, it turned out that this was a, a successful endeavor. It's not like he launched a coffee shop and it was a total failure and that's when he turned to steak and ale. It actually worked out for him. Yeah, and and so he used that money to really help establish this idea he had of, as we said, the casual eatery. Uh, steak and ale had an old English tavern sort of a feel. Yeah, if you had ever stepped into one, first thing you're thinking is, do they have a problem with the lights? Because it's kind of dark it's, in here. It was pretty dark. And, I, and they had a lot of dark woods. Like, it was supposed to be evocative of a pub in England. Um, but it was kind of like all American approximations of other yeah. cultures. Like, it 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 approaches what it's trying to copy but doesn't quite manage it. Yeah. They, I mean, they really wanted to have the upscale steakhouse quality food at a reasonable price and relaxed atmosphere. But I think the dark might have been also to, like, evoke more upper scale. Yeah. Because a, a lot of upper scale restaurants that I go to, although, you know, I don't go too, too often, are very, also very dark. Yeah. You have yeah, a you, little votive on the table and that's it. Right. You don't, yeah, you don't, you don't get a lot of industrial fluorescent lighting at your, at no. your typical hoity-toity restaurant. I like the, the note you have here about the original menu. Can you yes. please tell me about this? So the original menu was printed on a meat cleaver and it came in a little leather case. And it had all your different steaks that you could get on it. You could also get chicken and shrimp and things like that. And then their wine list was on a wine bottle. I don't have any memory of any menus well, on a meat cleaver. They eventually changed it over to regular paper, plasticky yeah. menus, but that was the original idea. Yeah, I um, can just imagine being terrorized by a menu. It's they look pretty cool. You can find them on the interwebs. Uh, and at the time that Steak and Ale opened, you could get an eight ounce fillet for a dollar ninety five, mm. which is. Gosh, I, I wish I could do that now. I, I would eat all the steak ever always. As a, as a non-mammal eater, uh, even a buck 95 is too precious for my blood. You'd help balance me out, Jonathan. Yeah. So we did mention that this this idea, this this chain of restaurants, that, which originally you know was just the, the single restaurant, that it was sort of a new concept in casual dining. Uh, although there's a little bit of a debate in that manner because there – there had been another restaurant, well, it was more of a bar, but it was founded it, yeah, it was founded the year before in 1965 by Alan Stillman. And it was a little bar that would grow into a, its own chain, and you might be familiar with it. It's TGI Fridays. And uh, the, but again, like when it when it was opening, it was known more as a bar, less as a restaurant. So so you can say like, well, the TGI Fridays of 1965 was more of a singles bar. In fact, that's what Stillman said he had created was the first singles bar. Which, fun fact, is also also used to be called a fern bar. A fern bar. A fern bar. Because later Brinker would create a competitive fern bar. I 
have never heard this term before. I am genuinely perplexed. It's it's a little antiquated. Um, okay. All right. All <laughs> but, right. I mean, despite this debate, really, and in, in all of our research, one thing was clear. People credit Brinker for the success and the idea of the casual dining chain. Yeah. The place where a family can go yeah. and have a meal out and it's not going to, you know, it's it's nicer than going to McDonald's but it's not going to break the bank. Yeah. He's also known for a lot of other things, and so we'll get into that in, in a bit. He also invented the self-serve salad bar. So he wanted people, when they went into Steak and Ale, to have a really good service experience, but also be able to go up and make their own salads and not have to wait while their meal was being prepared. Yeah. And also you get to choose exactly what goes on your salad that way. Yes. As a person who is sadly allergic to tomatoes, I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, he also introduced the, hi, my name is, and I'll be serving you today greeting that waiters give. Uh, at least according to some of our research. Yeah, which again <laughs> was scant in some cases. Yes. Not not for lack of effort. So in 1976, Brinker, who had had a real good run, sold steak and ale, which at that point had grown to a pretty astounding 113 locations, right? Like this was, this was obviously an idea that was meeting with some success. And the buyer in this case was a tiny little company called... Pillsbury. And yes, like Pillsbury, Doughboy, Pillsbury. Yeah, the hee-hee Pillsbury. Yes. Exactly. And in fact, that's the sound that the CEO made when Brinker finished <laughs> signing on the paper. He just went hee-hee. Jonathan's making that up. I like to make up new facts. <laughs> and uh, so at that point, they actually brought him on board. It wasn't just that he sold it off and then walked away. He actually stayed on to oversee operations. Yes, and uh, he started a new restaurant, a fern bar, called Bennigan's. Ah, yes. This one started up in our hometown of Atlanta. Yes, and it also spread nationwide. Like a virus. <laughs> like an Irish pub virus. Like an Irish pub virus. Yeah, Bennigan's whole purpose was to be more of like a singles pub bar experience. Yeah, less of a family-oriented restaurant and more of a place where young professionals go to to meet one another and hang out. So it was kind of meant to serve a different market. Uh, you could argue, and I think very, very persuasively argue, that these different approaches to casual dining all gradually kind of gravitated to the same general experience. Yeah. Where yeah. they... It's almost interchangeable. Not the menus, but the experience is kind of interchangeable. The, the experience is interchangeable. There are some outliers there um, and obviously themes. It's actually something that some people attribute to the decline of casual dining restaurants is uh, concept drift. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, well, I'm a casual dining experience. How do I differentiate from this other casual dining experience? I'm going to add uh, – Russian traditional dishes to my menu. I'm going to add a requirement that all of my wait staff sing and dance once every half hour. Yes. Disrupting the entire eating experience. Mm. Joe's Crab Shack. Hey. I'm looking at you. I, I like some Crab Shack. Uh, I'm allergic to – I'm now allergic to seafood, so I don't go there anymore oh, either. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my list of casual restaurants I can go to has gotten pretty small. Yeah, yeah. Another little fun fact. At the time, Pillsbury also owned Burger King, mm -hmm. which was having some trouble, and they had Brinker help turn that around. Yep. He started the whole uh, – this isn't really important to Steak and Ale, but since we're talking about the gentleman who started it – he started the whole attacking the other fast food chains sort of marketing campaign, mm -hmm. which caused a little bit of trouble, but not too, too much. Uh, he eventually became president over Pillsbury's entire food service division. Mm -hmm. And then in 1982, Pillsbury combined Steak and Ale and Bennigan's yep. into a company called the S&A Restaurant Corporation. So, yeah, this was a subsidiary under Pillsbury. So it was operating as its own thing, but uh, under the umbrella company of Pillsbury. And it was just uh, Steak and Ale and Bennigan's. And it would remain that way for pretty much the rest of our story. And it's important to know that when we talk about Bennigan's, we're really also talking about Steak, steak and, and Ale. Like yeah. the, the two were linked directly because even though they were separate chains, they operated under the same corporate leadership. And, and the reason that is, is because Pillsbury also acquired some liquor companies and because they were distributing liquor, they couldn't own technically under the Pillsbury name 
uh, places that sold the liquor that they were distributing. Yeah, that'll also come into play again a little bit later, and it'll uh, be another explanation about why things turned out the way they did. So we're getting up into the mid to late 80s. Steak and Ale, you know, has just essentially continued its operations as this sort of casual dining place, opening up new locations. It was up to around 300 locations at the peak, which again is why a lot of people probably haven't heard of it because unless you happen to live in one of those regions where they were prominent, you probably never encountered one. I mean, that's enough for six steak and ales per state. Yeah, but I think we had six in Atlanta by itself. That's so true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and then you started to see a lot more competition in the space. Like there had been other companies that had been active in that in that realm, but uh, they were largely regional in nature. And now they were starting to get large enough to actually pose some competition in the market. Yeah. Brinker, he actually left in 84 and acquired a small little uh, burger joint, a uh, small little chain called Chili's. Yep. And grew it into what it is today. Yep. That's a different story, though. Yeah. Yeah. And when he left, a bunch of the SNA and Bennigan's management and employees left with him. Yeah. This was uh, obviously going to be a, a an issue for the remaining people at the company. But more than that, what did they go on to do? Well, they went on to do some things like found Outback. P.F. Chang's, Red Lobster, Olive Garden. So when we say, you know, all of these different places have, even with different cuisines, you kind of have the same sort of experience, like from a very high level. This is why, because those restaurants were all founded by people who had started (laughs) at Steak and Ale. Which means it must have been a pretty positive experience for them at the time. Well, they certainly learned enough to be able to start their own restaurants using the same sort of general philosophy. But obviously that was about to cause a bunch of problems for Steak and Ale. Which we will cover in just a moment after we take this quick break. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, Ariel. So Brinker leaves Pillsbury. He goes on to mm-hmm. get uh, get involved with Chili's. Then a whole bunch of Brinker's top management also leaves. They all start founding restaurant chains themselves. What happens back over with the steak and ale folks? Well, Metro Media Restaurant Group, which is related to Metro Media, the, the media company, the media company, but it's like a kind of like how MGM ended up creating the resort division of its yeah. company. Yeah, it's one of the, it's a it's a different division, a different subsidiary. Yeah, bought the S and A Restaurant Corporation from Pillsbury in a leverage buyout. 
Yep. Metro Media already owned some other competing steakhouses like Ponderosa. And I think Roadhouse? I think it's Bonanza. Bonanza, that's right. It's Ponderosa and Bonanza. And um, yeah, I didn't even know that Ponderosa was a thing until I was up in the Northeast and I saw one. I, you know, I saw one a few years back in Pittsburgh, but it seems it has closed. Yeah, I want to say it was Philadelphia where I saw a a Ponderosa. I had heard it on like television shows or something, but didn't have any, like I had never encountered one in the Southeast. So I, and I was not very well traveled. And so uh, I was ignorant of them. And uh, again, this is going back to that same issue we were talking about with Pillsbury and why they couldn't operate under the Pillsbury name. So there was another company called Grand Metropolitan, uh, which was a, a liquor conglomerate. And they came in and they purchased Pillsbury But because of those laws about liquor manufacturers not able to operate establishments that sell the liquor, they needed to spin off the part of the company that actually were restaurants that sold liquor. Mm -hmm. And so that ended up being this division within Pillsbury. So that's why uh, the uh, Metro Media Restaurant Group was able to do a leveraged buyout Mm -hmm. of SNA Restaurant Corporation. So. Yeah. So then they merged their other steakhouses, Metro Media did, under the SNA Restaurant Corporation. Yep. So now we've got Ponderosa, Bonanza, Steak and Ale, and Bennigan's all operating under the same corporate structure. Yep. Then by the mid 90s, they were really struggling, specifically Steak and Ale. And in yeah. an effort to win back and bring in new customers, they introduced something they called the early evening value menu, <laughs> which meant that they dropped their low prices even lower. I'm yeah. assuming by this time a steak was more than a dollar ninety-five. Yeah, I'm guessing that uh, that inflation alone, yeah, meant that steaks were more expensive than that. But yeah, the whole idea was that steak and ale had a reputation for lower cost casual dining already, and now they were dropping that price even lower for these uh, early evening hours. Yeah, and not even that. Along with those lower prices, they were offering free drinks and desserts. I'm taking a wild stab here just based on my own experience in restaurants as someone who has eaten at a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But early evenings, I'm guessing that that means a lot of senior citizens. A lot of folks who who usually call it an early day might be the ones going. And that was one of the the, uh, frequent criticisms I read about steak and ale was that it was part of a larger trend within casual dining that was failing to evolve along with its customer base or failing to evolve to attract new customer base. Instead, it was aging the same rate that the customers were aging and they weren't bringing new people in. So early evening made sense considering who was coming into steak and ale, but it wasn't getting new people to come into steak and ale. I mean, you don't want to have a concept or product drift, but at the same time, you still need to evolve with the market. and. They were failing to do so quickly enough. Mm-hmm. In 1998, Metro Media went into a refinancing agreement for Steak and Ale Restaurant Corporation. It was for $190 million, and one of the largest uh, deals of that sort in the res- restaurant industry at the time. Mm-hmm. It's because they wanted to update their restaurants and they wanted to expand. But sometimes when you take out a big loan, you find out you're not able to pay back the interest on that yeah. loan. Yeah, so trouble really started happening, not for a while, not until 2006 when they closed all Bennigan's and I'm assuming steak and ales in Connecticut and New York. If there were any steak and ales in Connecticut and New York. Yeah. They took out this loan in order to make these changes, but my guess is that they weren't – they either weren't able to change fast enough or the changes they made were not enough to to counteract this trend of people – like drifting away. I'm, I'm also going to assume that the restaurants they closed were not franchises because they were also franchising restaurants. They were probably corporately owned. Yeah. And the franchisees over the course of this discussion, they wouldn't be able to hang on a little bit longer. And a franchise operator, obviously, they're paying a license to use the name and recipes of the corporate owner mm-hmm. of that intellectual property, right? So if you happen to go to a franchised steak and ale or a franchised Bennigan's, then the owner there has an agreement with the corporation. They get the they have the nice agreements with the same vendors that work yeah. with the corporate 
uh, locations. They get the same recipes. So they're able to make dishes that are consistent in quality and presentation as you would find in a corporate-owned one. Like ideally, you would never know as a customer Mm -hmm. the difference between a franchise and a corporate-owned restaurant. But we'll talk more about the franchisees and some of their concerns in just a little bit. Yeah. All right. So by 2007, despite these closures, despite this massive refinancing they're trying to do, uh, according to Restaurants and Institutions magazine, which is an industry magazine, Vanigan's had made $652 million in sales mm-hmm. from around 300 restaurants, and Steak and Ale had made around $93 million in sales from about 55 restaurants, between 55 and 58. Mm-hmm. Those numbers are not exact. So you think, well, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good money, but yeah. I'm guessing it just wasn't enough compared to cover to all the cost. the all the costs. Yeah. yeah. So in in May 2008. The CEO of uh, the Metro Media Restaurant Group, uh, Clay Dover, quit. He had been there for, gosh, how long was it? Oh, man, a lengthy six months. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, no, we've talked so many times on this show about how leadership changes, especially at the very top, that happen frequently aren't so disruptive that mm-hmm. they can cause such drama within a company and such uncertainty among shareholders that it's one of the most damaging things that can happen to a company. And it's kind of a chicken and egg situation because you have a company that's failing and you're like, well... We need to bring in somebody to fix this. Yeah. Uh, But the people who are coming in to fix it are in a sinking ship. Yeah. And it, it can be that just through the transition of changing over leadership to try and help bail water is bringing more water in. Yeah. And then you you get into this diminishing returns approach that is grim. And that was kind of where things – actually, that wasn't kind of where things were headed. 2008 was a bad year for these companies. A very bad year. Yeah. Uh, in June of 2008 – it was reported that Metro Media was working on a debt restructuring plan with GE Capital Solutions, mm-hmm. who had provided leasing on and financing on around 90 of their restaurants. Uh, I'm guessing corporate wide, like company wide, so sure. probably including some Ponderosas and things like that. Uh, and as it turned out, they hadn't been the best at paying up on those loan payments. They had defaulted on them. Yeah, yeah. Now, at the time, they said they weren't preparing for to file bankruptcy. <laughs> Which maybe they should have been. I read some reports that said that they had a bankruptcy filing prepared just in case. So, in, yeah, in in case in case of financial catastrophe, break glass. And I'm I'm liable to believe it because on July 29th of 2008. Yeah, one month later. Yeah, all locations of Steak and Ale closed almost overnight when Metro Media Restaurant Group filed Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Yeah, for the. SNA Restaurant Corp and other Bennigan's and Steak and Ale affiliates. And they started preparing for liquidation. Yeah. Essentially, people were reporting in for work and finding out that their restaurant was now closed. It happened so quickly. I read reports of, of restaurant managers who said, yeah, I went in the next day and that's when I found out it was shut down. It was like we were open one day and closed the next. I mean, some people said that they could see that something was afoot. Well, that's largely because the economy was in one of its weaker spots at that time. Yeah, that was a recession. Yeah. And so people were cutting back on their discretionary spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, Steak and Ale Restaurant Corporation had around 49 creditors. Yikes. And they said that once they were done paying their administrative fees, they wouldn't have any money to pay those creditors back. Over 9,000 employees lost their jobs. Yep. So that's why they went into Chapter 7. Um and I, I wrote this later on in the notes, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it now because I think it just helps. Uh, you might wonder what the difference between Chapter 7 and Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection is. Under Chapter 11, generally speaking, companies anticipate that through restructuring and through negotiations with creditors, they will be able to emerge from bankruptcy and resume operations. And they can continue operations while they're in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is to turn things around and come back out the other side. Chapter 7 is when you say, we don't even have enough to continue operations as it stands, so we have to liquidate because we owe money to our creditors, and if we try to remain in operation, all we're going to do is accumulate even more debt. Yeah. Now, Bennigan's franchising company, which held the trademarks for Steak and Ale and Bennigan's, 
wasn't a part of the filings. Mm-hmm. So even though they closed all of their corporate Bennigans, which were 150 of them, mm-hmm. and all of their staking ales, which again, Lisa was only around 50-something, so they had already been in decline. There were 140 franchises that stayed open. Yeah, yeah. So the franchisees, they were able to remain in operation. Now, their big concern was that, yeah, they they still had the rights to operate under the Bennigan's name. They still had all the access to the recipes and everything. None of that was revoked. But their worry was that with the corporation now in Chapter 7, would they be able to maintain those vendor relationships? Yeah. Like, where they're actually getting the supplies they need to do business. And that was a, a legitimate concern. And in fact, it was one of those things where depending upon the location, some franchise owners couldn't maintain those relationships. And you started to see a fairly rapid drop-off even in franchises because even though they weren't affected directly by the Chapter 7 filing, they were indirectly affected and yeah. they, were, it, they were on borrowed time. Yeah. Over the next 10 years, the number of bet against franchises would dwindle to Something around 15 or so. So 15 Bennigan's restaurants. From 140. Eesh. Yeah. Now, there was a little bit of glimmer of a hope because Steak and Ale Restaurant Corporation was bought by Fortress Investment Group uh, a month after the the bankruptcy filing happened. Mm-hmm. And then Italia Capital Management came in and bought the Bennigan's Franchise Corporation, which, as we said, held the trademarks. Yeah. Yeah. So – you still had a company there that had the intellectual property. It wasn't just left to die. Uh, you had a company that was determined to do something with this. I mean, you don't come in and buy something and then you have no plans to do anything. You know, you're not going to do anything with it. So to figure out what they were going to do, the investors had to put somebody in charge of all this. And this would become sort of the glimmer of hope, the hero who rises out from the ashes to reclaim the great steak and ale ring that was forged in Mount Doom? I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. I I just I'm enjoying listening you listening to you try to get there. I enjoy listening to you say the name of the guy. Fine, I'll do it, Jonathan. His name was Paul Mangiamelli. Yeah, I like how you had that nice little pause where you were thinking, is that what they said a second ago when I paused the whole podcast so I could listen to it? (laughs) Look, you say potato, I say potato. potato. You say Mangiamelli, I say Mangiamelli. I just had to decide which version of the correct way to say it I was going to say it. So he uh, actually already had uh, some some experience, obviously, in the restaurant world. It's not like they just grabbed this guy out of the out of a hat or something. Yeah. He had previously been the president and CEO of Salceritos, which so, was a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. He was determined to really – to have a good showing. And his determination will become clear in just a moment. But we have a little sad note before we get on to what else Mangiamelli was doing. Yeah. In 2009, Norman Brinker died. As we said, he was remembered – as the true innovator of the casual dining chain. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of his former employees and coworkers met to toast him and reminisce. So that's that's kind of nice. Yeah. You know, someone who, who clearly had a, a major impact on their mm-hmm. industry. Uh, so 2011, Paul Mangiamelli becomes the CEO of Bennigan's Franchising Company. And he makes a big prediction, a big announcement Right? Yeah. He said that there was going to be a Bennigan survival in 2012. They were going to work on opening a whole bunch of new corporately owned and work on a whole bunch of more uh, – opening more franchises of Bennigan's, again, to bring him up from the 15. And he followed this announcement in 2014 by saying that he planned to bring back Steak and Ale as well as a part of the Bennigan's comeback because he really loved these franchises. It's why he – Agreed to take agreed on this to take role. It on. Yeah, this this to me is so. You know, we see a lot of of leaders in these industries kind of hop around different companies, and mm-hmm. sometimes it almost feels like they're guns for hire, right? Like you, yeah. you bring this person in because he or she has a reputation for turning a, a business around when it's failing, or maybe they have a reputation for ramping up when a company has reached a certain level of growth and now needs to move into explosive growth. But in this case, Mangiamelli really comes across to me as somebody who has a a real, possibly inexplicable passion (laughs) for the businesses that he's leading. 
And he did something smart. He created Facebook pages for the Steak and Ale Revival and mm-hmm. for Bennigan's. The Steak and Ale Revival Facebook page didn't have an astronomical number of likes, but it got quite a few. Yeah, I mean, nostalgia always plays a pretty strong role when it comes to social media. I mean, if a Steak and Ale opened up in Atlanta again, I would go. Uh, all right, that's so we've got one dedicated diner. Woo, that's yeah. all you no, that's more that's not all you need. <laughs> no, um, as it turns out, that's not all you need. Mangiamelli was ready to fight, and we'll talk a little bit more about that right after this break. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. When we say Mangiamelli was ready to to put his his money where his mouth was, where to really lead the charge. We mean it because mm-hmm. he didn't satisfy himself just by becoming the head of this this uh, group, this this company that had you know investors had sort of installed him in the position. He did it by actually coughing up his own money to purchase the company. Yeah, all bits and pieces of it from Fortress Investment Group from Italia. And he put them all into his own new company, Legendary Restaurant Brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and beyond trying to build up Bennigan's and eventually open a steak and ale, he uh, started working on ideas for something called Bennigan's on the Fly, which would be like a smaller footprint sort of a restaurant, something you find in a hospital or an airport. Or Yeah, it makes sense for Bennigan's on the Fly to be in an airport. Yeah, yeah. So I guess something between casual dining and fast food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to start an international expansion. Uh, which they have done. There are some international franchises of Bennigan's out there. I read some reports that his idea for Steak and Ale was to do a modern casual gastropub, bringing in some of the old favorites, but then bringing in new updated ideas as well. Yeah, because if you look over an old Steak and Ale menu, you start to question whether or not you'll be able to resist cardiac arrest before you get out of the building. So good. Yeah. You know what? Salt and fat is good, Mm. but you got to have it it in moderation. My my belly fat agree. (laughs) My happy, happy belly fat. All right. Uh, So his goal was to grow these restaurants into markets where they had historically done well in the past. Mm -hmm. So places where people were happy and, and already frequenting these restaurants, which could be a good idea, but at the same time, they did go into Chapter Seven, so yeah, and also there was so much more competition, and not and a lot of the competition is also struggling, and it's it it's indicative of larger trends, not just market saturation. I mean, yeah. market saturation is always an uh, an issue. Like we talked about it with other companies, where if you open up too many locations too close together, you are saturating your mm-hmm. your market. You are diminishing the number of people who are going into each individual place. And same thing can be true if there's a ton of competitors in the same space. Like there are certain streets in every city, but certainly in Atlanta, where when you're driving down, all you're seeing is just 
chain after chain after yeah. chain of different yeah. casual restaurants. Well, he's he's since adjusted that business plan a little bit, and we'll get to that when we get to 2018. But real quick, I just want to talk about this little note that in 2016, legendary restaurant brands and ONBD Group made plans to open five steak and ale restaurants in Mexico. And as a part of the deal, ONBD would be able to sub-franchise the restaurants. When I look on Bennigan's website for the rest, where the restaurants are located, there aren't any steak and ales there. So I don't know. Yeah, I haven't. I, I, when I was doing research, I didn't come across any notes about it. That does, that's not to say that it didn't happen. It's just that if it did happen, it's super on the DL. Or it's very, very slowly still in progress. Or maybe happen. I should have searched for the Spanish words for steak and ale. Huh. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, in the middle of 2018, Bennigan's had a small number of restaurants total internationally and domestic stores still around 15 or 18. Uh, but according to their website, they were making stable profits within the, within the same restaurant. Mm-hmm. So minor to minor growth and stable profits. Uh, and we finally did get a hint of steak and ale back in late around October 2018 when Bennigan's put three of steak and ale's restaurant dishes and some of Steak and Ale's history on their menu. Yeah. So if you wanted to have some Hawaiian chicken, you could yes. have that. Uh, th- they had one that was a smothered chicken dish that I read the the description of, and I both got hungry and heartburn just from reading the yeah. description. That's the best kind of dish. Again, on this article where they said they were making stable profits at Bennigan's, they said that their goal was to grow these restaurants not into markets where they had been previously well-served, but into small towns where any new restaurant opening is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, opening a Bennigan's or a Steak and Ale in Manhattan isn't going to do diddly. But Huntington, West Virginia. Possibly. You're going to get the McElroy brothers talking yes. about it. Yes, yes. So that's, that, that was some of their new goal as of 2018. They did have something on their Facebook page saying fans have been clamoring for the return of their favorite restaurant and we're doing our best to deliver. In the meantime, we're reconnecting the emotional ties to our brands by adding three of Steak and Ale's most popular entries to Bennigan's menu, which goes to show me that Paul is probably not giving up on this yet. Yeah. Mangiamelli? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's a, he, I, I'm glad that he is determined to try and see this through because, I mean, I, I have – I didn't eat at steak and ale a lot, but I do have fond memories of going to those. And there were a lot of restaurants that really owe their existence to the fact that steak and ale paved the way. Like, you know, a sizzler probably wouldn't have existed without steak and ale. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of those, especially the especially the steak casual mm-hmm. dining restaurants. I mean, we wouldn't have Outback without Steak and Ale probably. Yeah, because that was actually executives yeah. from from uh, the Steak and Ale Corporation who went on to found Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. No and, rules, just right. <laughs> and, and the thing is, while growth has been a lot slower than he was expecting, obviously they only have a few more restaurants as opposed to, you know, hundreds of restaurants. Yeah. He does say that more franchises and restaurants are in the works. And he does have, you know, other other ideas. One of, one of the things that he said he wanted to do in this revitalization of the restaurants is that he did not want to cut prices down and give value prices for his food. He wanted to give value for the prices he was charging. So he wanted to improve the quality as yeah. opposed to cutting the prices or, down. Or, you know, the idea of a consumer will view a large meal for $14 mm-hmm. that they can – will probably actually get two meals out of. Better unless than unless a, you're me from three years ago, in which case it was devoured in one sitting. I mean, yeah. But, you know, they would – even though it, it equals out the same, they would view that better than a smaller meal for $7 because if you're cutting the price, if you're saying we're giving you this discount on price, then they're going to say, oh, well, this is cheaper. Yeah. Food. Yeah, I and mean, it is a delicate thing, right? It's a weird thing in consumerism where you have to find that sweet spot because if you if you sell it for too low a price – People associate the low price with lower quality, even if that's not the case. Yeah. And so you want to avoid that. At the same time, you obviously don't want to overcharge because people get fed up with that too. Yeah, that only lasts so long. It means that you have to be like a mover and a shaker if you want to command the highest prices. Yeah. And as long as you're maintaining that spot, sure, people will pay it. But if you ever slip, then you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've learned a lot of lessons from this. One lesson, I mean, is that any restaurant – 
owner or manager can tell you is the restaurant business is hard. It's tough. It's it's not always about what you do. It's just sometimes about consumers' expendable money. And it can be about things like location. I mean, I'm, I know that every town, you you guys know, you guys know the place in your town where there's massive turnover for a yeah. space that you're like, yeah, that's been like 14 different restaurants in the last 10 years. You know that spot. I mean, they, these are hard things to do. Even if you are doing everything correctly, sometimes it doesn't work out. And that's a tough thing to hear because mm-hmm. you want there to be lessons where you can apply something, right? Yeah. Where you're like, oh, well, I'll just do X, Y, and Z and everything will be fine. The restaurant business is one of those where you can be doing everything right and still not succeed. Um, yeah. So that's part of it. But, you know, another part, again, is paying attention to what trends are going on in yeah. the in the overall population and can you grow with those? Yeah, I, I think the self-service salad bar was a, a great idea of that when it came in. It was so good that that Thomas would put it in the Wendy's uh, restaurants. Yeah. And, you know, if they could have continued innovating, providing the same quality food and the same sort of fare, but in new innovative ways that that might have, not with a song and dance or throwing your dishes through a basketball hoop. Yeah. You know, that might have. But seriously, you need to go on YouTube and start looking at steak and ale commercials from the 1980s. uh, They're fantastic. And, you know, while nostalgia wasn't enough to keep them around with all of their competitors, you know, maybe the nostalgia train is enough to bring them back. Uh, And if you're really passionate about it, you can go on Bennigan's website and look into starting your own franchise. Now, I do want to have you tell us this one fun fact that we have in our fun facts section that you've gathered. Sure. About... So I, blue laws are silly mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases. You know, blue laws that that restrict things like uh, alcohol and and and, uh, and even just uh, mentioning alcohol. Yeah. So I did not know that there are some places where it's illegal to reference alcohol in the name of your business. There at least used to be. So I think it it was a holdover from prohibition. Yeah. And, you know, states are real slow to change their laws. <laughs> That's why you've got laws like you can't uh, lure an elephant down the street with an ice cream cone kind of stuff. Uh, in, in my hometown, this is true, uh, it is illegal to eat fried chicken with a knife and fork. Yeah. See, so states and, and – I don't think the state actually cares now, but it was enacted at one point in time and then just took forever to change. So in the 70s, in states like Tennessee, you couldn't reference alcohol in the name of your restaurant. So what did – since ale is in the name of mm-hmm. steak and ale and it's A-L-E, obviously you don't want to change that to steak and ale, A-I-L. That yeah. sends a totally different message. Steak and whale? No. no. So what did they call it there? The Jolly Ox. Okay. I guess because like an ox is bovine-ish and, <laughs> you know, jolly is what you get when you drink some ale. It suddenly so makes like, you think like it's a Paul Bunyan-themed restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like, okay, this is making me think of how when I first saw the name of the restaurant Twin Peaks, I got excited because I, I thought it was about Peaks the restaurant. TV show. I know. I was really disappointed that it wasn't. Oh, no. I was – I turned eight shades of dark red. <laughs> As you, I, anyone who's familiar with that chain knows why I did because I walked in expecting one thing and I got something very different. Thank you, Andrew, for this topic. It was a lot of work to find all the bits and pieces, but I, I'd wager to say it was such an interesting story. Yeah, it's one of those where, like, I take it for granted. I just thought, oh, it's just a restaurant that didn't mm-hmm. do well, but it's always more complicated than that. Yeah, and it it makes me more aware of overall problems that entire industries are facing. Like, I, I know that I stopped kind of going to chain restaurants as a rule about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, largely because I moved into the city of Atlanta where we have lots and lots of either very small chains where it's like three or four restaurants within the city or they're all individually owned restaurants. And I, I am uh, spoiled with choice. Mm-hmm. And so the only time I would ever go to a chain restaurant is either if I were traveling someplace and it's like, you know, late in the day and you are – in the middle of nowhere and the closest place you can find is a chain restaurant, you go there because yeah. your options are limited. Or it's like a group thing, like a group of people all want to go and meet at some 
and chain restaurants are great for that because you tend to have more variety in your menu. Well, and yeah, and everyone knows what to expect, yeah. right? That's that's there's there's consistency there. You you again, it's one of the things that's a benefit to the chain approach is that you know you're going to what you're going to get no matter which one you're walking into. Mm-hmm. Uh, the downside of that is you know what you're going to get no matter which one you're walking into. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to be surprised. Yeah. Uh, but that's not to say that it, it doesn't have merit. It's just it's a different experience. But you know, because I had removed myself from that world, I wasn't really familiar with what was going on in general. So this was really informative to me. So let's say that you out there have a particular company that you either want to know how the heck did they go from being obscure to being a dominator in the world of X industry or – Whatever happened to such and such company, how would they reach out to us so that we could take the burden of responsibility of research for them? Well, they could email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yeah, and you guys have been sending some really awesome emails. Ariel reads every single one, and she forwards the ones to me that won't make me sad. Yes. And we got, like, some really sweet ones recently. Yeah. Really, really complimentary. It, it made my day. And if you've got a last name that is difficult to pronounce and you want us to say it correctly, give us a pronunciation guide. That'll be really helpful. Yeah. We want to thank you properly when thank we do you, your suggestion. Mr. Mangiamelli. We we <laughs> salute you. And if we've been misspelling or mispronouncing your name this entire time, we humbly apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to see our back catalog of episodes or you want to learn more about Jonathan and I, you can also visit our website at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yep. And until next time, I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I have been Ariel Kasten. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.